Most of the victims of the increased homicide are black and brown people living in the inner city. But when you're finding these smash and grabs taking place at Neiman Markets and these high-end stores, all of a sudden, people on the left are beginning to recognize it is out of control and we need to rethink our assumptions. At the 2022 Conservative Political Action Conference, I sat down with Larry Elder, host of The Larry Elder Show on Epoch TV, to discuss how California is facing increased crime and homelessness. I think there is a growing feeling that California is about ready to hit rock bottom. This is American Thought Leaders, and I'm Yanya Kelly. Larry Elder, such a pleasure to have you back on American Thought Leaders. Jan, nice to see you. You didn't even know I was here. No, no I, I, I just spoke. I just spoke at a panel discussion. We were talking about uh, the Biden administration and how he's, uh, in less than one year, uh, screwed up America, both domestically, economically, and in terms of foreign policy, and you missed it. It was a mic drop. <laughs> no, so, well, I mean, obviously, this has been a kind of a, let's say, a common theme at CPAC, let's say. But l let's go a little more regional. Let's talk about California, okay? Because you know a little bit about California having uh, attempted a run at governor not too long ago. You know, well, I, I, well, I did run. I didn't win, but I, <laughs> in quotes, I didn't win in quotes, but I did run. You know, and, and Jan, I had never run for office before. I ran for third grade class president. That's my last time I ever ran for office. And people kept coming to me and asking me to run. And I resisted. Uh, and a lot of people I respect, my pastor, Jack Hibbs, asked me to, to consider a woman named Jenny Sand, who I never heard of. She's a local California activist. Everybody knew her but me. And she kept writing me. I don't know how she got my email address. I said to my girlfriend, uh, Nina, look, this woman's just writing me. Let me just sit down 15 minutes, have coffee with her, get her off our back. So we agreed to have coffee. Four hours later, <laughs> me a stack of stuff uh, there and all the, the strategies that she thought I could employ to win, even though uh, Republicans are outnumbered three to one in California. She felt that a recall election, if the ball carom just right, I could win. And then the guy that eventually became the chairman of my campaign, his name is Lionel Chetwin. He's a filmmaker. He did, among other things, Hanoi Hilton. He did a film called The Apprenticeship of Duddy Kravitz, where he got the uh, Academy Award for Best Adapted Screenplay. He asked me to run. And then Dennis Prager without whom I wouldn't be on radio, asked me to run. So I respected all these people. And I said, guys, what do you think I could do this? And then Jan, I did this. I said, let me ask normal people. So I asked my barber. Been cutting my hair for 30 years. I thought for sure he's going to say, Larry, I've been at your house. I know your lifestyle. Uh, why do you need this? And I mentioned it to him. He said, I think you ought to run. I was shocked he felt that way. There's a guy named Ed who owns a car service, and I use it from time to time when I want to be picked up and taken somewhere, and every now and then he drives me himself. So I said, Ed, these guys want me to run for, for governor. I thought for sure he's going to say, are you nuts? Why do you need that? And he said, Larry, do it and save us. Start talking about all the regulations he was um, having to deal with as a business person. And this may sound arrogant, Jan, but little by little I began to think, if not you, who, if not now, when? And I began to feel that I had a patriotic, a spiritual, and a moral obligation to do it. I, to be perfectly honest, I was not impressed with the, with the people that were running in the replacement side to replace him. And it's a two-step deal. Half of the voters, plus one, had to vote to recall him. And then once he's recalled, whoever gets the most votes on the replacement side will become governor. So I could conceivably have one with as little as 25% of the total votes cast. How is, are the stars going to line up like that again? So I decided to do it. And so I ended the race with eight weeks left. I wasn't trying to be strategic. I just dragged my feet and dragged my feet. And finally, with eight weeks left, I said, OK, I'm going to do it. And that was turned out to be around the same time that Arnold Schwarzenegger in 2003 decided to enter that recall election, which was successful. But between 2003 and 2021, 
a number of things have happened. There are now 5% more registered Democrats in California. There are 50% more registered independents in California. And even the New York Times admitted the independents in California vote Democrat. There are 33% fewer registered Republicans. And still, even though the battlefield had changed, I got the same percentage on the recall, on the replacement side, as did Arnold Schwarzenegger back in 2003. So it was an extraordinary campaign by any stretch of the imagination. California has 58 counties. I carried on the replacement side 57. The only one I didn't carry was San Francisco, and I lost that by a whopping 149 votes. We didn't spend one dime uh, on advertising or one minute campaigning there. And I got more votes, 3.5 million, than all of the other replacement candidates, and there were 45 combined. In eight weeks, I raised $22 million, more than all of the major rivals combined, including John Cox, who put in millions of dollars of his own money. So um, we, didn't pre we didn't prevail. Newsom won by the same percentage he won his, his election in 2018, but he had to spend 50% more to keep his job than he spent to get his job. So as far as I'm concerned, it was a very successful campaign, and I thoroughly enjoyed every minute of it, even though I was called by the LA Times, wait for it, the black face of white supremacy. Another LA Times columnist, columnist referred to my views as white supremacist views. I was called by a black uh, commentator named Tavis Smiley, anti-black. And I said, Tavis, I've known him for a number of years. He's never liked my politics, but I always thought we were okay personally. I said, Tavis, how am I anti-black? He said, you're opposed to reparations. I said, most of America is opposed to reparations. Are they anti-black? Barack Obama was opposed to reparations until a year ago. Was he anti-black then? I mean, the way I was treated by the media was, was the way I thought I would be, uh, although um, it corroborated everything that I thought. I, I, as far as I'm concerned, Jan, I had four opponents. Gavin Newsom, of course, who never, ever defended his record on crime on homelessness, on the way he shut down the state while ignoring the science, denying government kids in government schools a whole year of in-person education. Uh, people are leaving California for the first time in, in the state's 170-year history. Um, brownouts, rolling brownouts, poor water management. We're running out of water. We've got a body of water next to us called the Pacific Ocean. Somehow we can't figure this out. He, he never defended his record. He just said, stop the Republican takeover. Obama cut a commercial for him. Stop Republican takeover. Uh, Warren, Elizabeth Warren, stop Republican takeover. Bernie Sanders, stop the Republican takeover. Nobody said this, John. Gavin Newsom has done a good job for the people of California. All they said was Larry Elder, the Trump Republican. Joe Biden flew out campaign for him and said I was more Trump than Trump. Whatever that means. The point is, all they did was point at me and scream and say Trump, Republican, Republican, Trump, Trump, Republican, Republican, Trump, and it worked. What I've always said is that California has got to hit rock bottom. The definition of rock bottom is when crime comes to your neighborhood, when your neighborhood is in Hancock Park or Beverly Hills or Bel Air and Malibu, and now unfortunately beginning to happen. Not long ago, a UCLA graduate student who was working in a furniture store by herself was stabbed by a homeless guy. And a few weeks before that, in Beverly Hills, the wife of a record mogul was murdered by somebody who broke in the house. By the way, they had security on site and he still shot and killed her by somebody with a long criminal record who should never have been out of prison. So now the crime is coming to the suburbs, to the very elites who spent money uh, to stop me from doing something about the very crime that now they're concerned about. So California is getting to that point where I believe they're almost gonna hit rock bottom. There's a lot of voters remorse right now as far as I'm concerned. So I know I spoke, I think almost 15 minutes <laughs> nonstop, <laughs> but I'm pretty passionate about my state. I, you know, I, and I can see that, and I mean, 
you, you were expecting that someone would call you the black face of white supremacy. That's the part, like, I, f I find that so reprehensible that, that a headline would read that. I was, and, and yeah, on, on a more cosmic level, did you know Joe Biden promised to appoint the first black female to the Supreme Court? He just made a nominee. All I know is this. When I was in law school, my law professors never told me that I would interpret the law differently because I'm black, or you should interpret the law differently because you're a female. But now this is where we are. And I know that during my race, uh, the person that called me the black face of white supremacy was not a white male. It was a black female. Uh, the person that's called my views white supremacist was not a white male. It was a female Latina. So a job of a judge, according to John Roberts, the chief justice, is to call balls and strikes. If I'm a black batter, should I have a black umpire calling the balls and strikes for me because I'm black? It doesn't make any sense. We've gone from wanting a colorblind society to one that's a color-coordinated society, and I think it's a complete refutation of what MLK stood for. Well, let's, you know, I want to, before, I want to go back to California in a moment, but before we do that, let's talk about, you know, I guess this woke ideology that, you know, essentially is, uh, allows for such a headline to be concocted in the first place. I didn't tell you the subheadline. Larry Elder is the black face of white supremacy. That was a headline. Subheadline, you've been warned. So somebody who wants school choice is dangerous. Somebody who wants to do something about soft on crime DAs is dangerous. Somebody who wants taxes lowered is dangerous. Somebody who wants to rein in the environmental extremists that stop construction to the point where the average price of a home in California is 175% more than the average price of a home in America, that makes me the black face of white supremacy. That makes my views white supremacist views. It makes me dangerous. It's ludicrous. Can't we have a discussion on the merits without attacking me personally? Apparently, no. Well, so according to this ideology, as I've learned, kind of talking to all sorts of experts on this over the last three years, if you're not subscribing to the politics of that ideology, you actually are considered white supremacist. It doesn't matter what color you are. And Candace Owens was called a white supremacist. She's that's right. <laughs> she's a black female. You're right. Um, but but has this are basically a few people have been saying that this whole thing has peaked and now it's coming down the other end. What do you think? I would like to think so. Uh, look at the recall of these three left-wing school board members in San Francisco that happened about a week or two ago. They were recalled with over 70% of the vote. 78%, I think. It was unbelievable. And, and yeah. in San Francisco, you're talking about 6% registered Republicans. So these were left-wing people who were upset at the woke policies of these three school board members. So something is happening. And in an unguarded moment, every now and then, you'll find a left-wing person admit this thing has gone nuts. Some years ago, the first uh, and current black editor of the New York Times, his name is Dean Bequet, hired a man named Brett Stevens to write a column for the New York Times. He's a Trump-hating Republican, this kind of Republican that the uh, New York Times and the Washington Post hires. But they hired him. And his first column was written about his skepticism about climate change alarmism. He wasn't skeptical that the climate was changing. He just wasn't sure the, the extent to which uh, humans caused it. That's all he said took a very moderate, uh, you know, mo modulated position on it. And people contacted the New York Times. They were angry. They hired the guy, angry at his column. Many of them canceled their subscriptions. And so a chagrined Dean McKay was at a forum, and he talked about this a few weeks after this happened. And he said, I have learned that, the, that, that we, and he caught himself, and he said, the left, people on the left 
do not want to hear thoughtful disagreement. This is the managing editor of the New York Times, a black man, acknowledging, quote, that the left does not want to hear thoughtful disagreement, close quote. That, to me, is an incredible admission. I've mentioned it on my radio show many, many times. Jan, a tree fell in the forest, didn't make any sound because no one outside the left, outside of, of conservative circles, is even talking about this admission by the, by the managing editor of the New York Times, that the left does not want to hear thoughtful disagreement. There was a house in San Francisco, I was reading about this, that sold, I think it was originally a $20 million home. It was bought and it was sold for $11 million. And I've been hearing all sorts of like crazy stories. Presumably this is part of the reason that the recall went the way it did in that, uh, in that school district. But the situation that you described earlier, that you know, this, the crime and these policies are coming, the chickens are coming home to roost in these places. I think in San Francisco is kind of a case in point right now. So what do you think it will take for those policies to change? Because it's like a freight train, right? It, it's like a freight train. Uh, it, it requires it to come home to you. Uh, and again, the crime is now starting to come home to places like Hancock Park. That's where the uh, young lady from the UCLA graduate student was stabbed, Hancock Park. Beverly Hills is where that um, man broke into the house and murdered the wife of that record company, Mogul. It's one thing for homicides to go up in the inner city, as they are. And by the way, most of the victims of the increased homicide are black and brown people living in the inner city. But when you're finding these smash and grabs taking place at Neiman Markets and these high-end stores, all of a sudden, people on the left are beginning to rethink their assumptions. I'll give you a, a prime example. One of the issues when I ran was the DA in, in LA County's name is George Gascon. He was handpicked by Gavin Newsom uh, to become the DA of San Francisco. After he became the DA there, he came down to LA and ran for and got elected DA of, uh, of LA County. And uh, he has been funded either directly or indirectly by George Soros or George Soros types. Well, there has been a recall movement and it failed because the signatures were not gathered in time. But there's been another recall effort. And now all of a sudden some of the very same people that gave money to, to, to uh, Gavin Newsom to prevent me from taking his job are now helping to fund the recall movement f to recall George Gascon because crime is now coming to their, to their neighborhoods. So. They don't have their kids in, in government schools. They have their all kids in private schools. They couldn't care less about the fact that 75% of black kids in third grade in government schools pre-pandemic could not read at state levels of proficiency. And those levels are low because they lower them all the time so they don't look so bad. The math scores are even worse. Half of all third graders in our government schools cannot read at state levels of proficiency. And 80% of the kids in government schools in California are black and brown. So elite people don't care about that. Their kids are already in private schools. But they do care about crime when it comes to them. Uh, and so I think there is a growing growing feeling that California is about ready to hit rock bottom. When I was running my campaign, I used a line that California needs to hit rock bottom, and I was asked, elder, define rock bottom. I said, rock bottom is when the homeless guy relieves himself on your front lawn, provided your front lawn is in Brentwood or Bel Air or Beverly Hills or Malibu, and that is increasingly becoming the case. Homelessness is everywhere in California. Uh, they're, they're spending more money than ever to combat it. Uh, it's gotten worse. Uh, they're not going about it the right way. I had a plan when I was running for office. Uh, and so the number two is, number one and number two issues now for LA, for, for California, crime and homelessness. And a growing number of people on the left are beginning to recognize it is out of control and we need to rethink our assumptions. So I don't think we're there yet, but we're getting there. 
So very, very briefly around homelessness, and I've been, I've been also kind of following this issue a lot. What are the, what are the false assumptions here that are causing this situation? Let me put it this way: unless you're prepared to move people from public properties when the conditions, quote, are right, close quote, we're having a point in this conversation. When there is sufficient housing built and somebody on the streets refuses to go, you have a choice. You can say, well, there's nothing we can do. Or we can say, you are going to be moved. You are going to move to an area where we have built for you, whether you like it or not. And until and unless we have a conversation where a sufficient number of people in California say, okay, you can't tell people to move when there isn't somewhere to put them. But there's a Supreme Court case, and it says when there is sufficient homes built, you can lawfully, physically remove somebody from a public area. A lot of people in California think it's cruel. The video of somebody yelling and screaming when they're being moved looks horrific, just as it looked horrific in Israel uh, when people who were in these so-called settlements were, were, were forcibly removed when the policies changed. If, unless you're prepared to watch that and have that conversation, I got nothing for you. But when there is sufficient housing, and, and housing can be built, is that cheaply. housing or shelters or both? Or? Both. Okay. Both. Okay. Because it's more safe. There are thousands of people who are killed every single year in, within the homeless population by other homeless people. It is extremely dangerous. If you are a female in the homeless community, you are going to be raped. A hundred percent of them have pretty much been raped over a certain period of time, and sometimes more than one. So it's not like we're doing this for us. We're also doing it for you. It's not healthy for you. It's not hygienic for everybody else. It's not safe. And, and affordable housing can be built, should be built. Uh, and once it's done, we have to have a conversation. Are you going to allow people to stay on the streets, even when there's shelter for them, or will they be physically removed? Ask Sheriff Alex Villanueva. He and I have had this conversation. And he said, Larry, until and unless Californians are willing to physically remove people when there's sufficient housing for them, we're going to have this problem. But this is a mental health and a drugs issue primarily, right? It's not. It's not. A, a, you didn't. You got kicked out of your home issue. That's what I understand is a, the kind of the foundational right. there, assumption. There, there are that some people that, that have lost their homes. There are some people that have lost their jobs. But most of them are mentally ill or are addicted to some sort of substance. And there's treatment available. And after Proposition 47 came along, you could now use up to three grams of meth without fear of going to jail because you're no longer a felon, you've committed a misdemeanor. Uh, and they'll write you a ticket, and because of cashless bail, you don't have to go to jail. So Sheriff Alex Villanueva, the sheriff of LA County, told me that after Proposition 47, our toolkit now had that removed. We can no longer tell somebody who's doing meth on the streets, either you go to rehab or you go to jail. Now they say, either I go to rehab or what? And we now have no alternative. And as a result, the homeless problem after 47 got worse. And by the way, the person that drafted Proposition 47 was George Gascon. Okay, the, the, the three most important things that California could do right now to affect change. Dramatically reform CEQA, the California Environmental Quality Act, that has caused the price of a home in California to be 175% above the national average. The environmental extremists need to be reined in. California is down almost 1 million housing units as a result of environmental laws like that. And that's the, one of the primary reasons that the middle class and lower class people have left California that cannot afford the price of a home. Number two, school choice. The first step towards leaving poverty, think tanks on the left and on the right will tell you 
uh, is to at least finish high school and one where you can read, write, and compute at grade level. Third thing, make sure that bad guys do the time for their crimes. Uh, and we, we need to get rid of these soft on crime DAs uh, in laws like Proposition 47, we described that. Proposition 57, which lowered a whole bunch of, of categories of crime uh, into um, uh, nonviolent offenses. Now, because of Proposition 57, assault on a police officer is considered to be a nonviolent offense. Serial arson is a nonviolent offense. Rape of an intoxicated victim is a nonviolent offense, meaning the bad guy does not serve nearly the same kind of term he would have served prior to Proposition 57. The number one job of government is to protect people and property, make sure government does its number one job. It's everything you're talking about, okay? It seems to me like decriminalizing crime. I mean, it's... It, it, well, the philosophy of people like, like Gavin Newsom, of, uh, of Chesa Bowden up in the Bay Area, and of George Gascon is people commit crimes because of social problems, uh, because their father didn't take them to Disneyland when they were in the third grade, uh, because they are victims of society. My father never knew his father. My father was kicked out of the home when he was 13. My father never spent a day in jail. If you're raised by wolves uh, in the jungle, you should know that murder is wrong. And we should hold people responsible for that. And these, and these soft on crime DAs don't, don't think that their job is to prosecute bad guys. Your job is to prosecute bad guys, not to be a sociologist. We have sociologists to do that. Any final thoughts, Larry? We're going to take back this country. I formed, after my race, a political action committee called ElderForAmerica.com. I urge people to throw something in the tip jar because we're trying to take back the House, take back the Senate, do something about these soft on crime DAs, and campaign for all the school choice initiatives that are all over the country, and um, make sure that inner city parents have the same kind of choices that some of the elite people have uh, who claim that they care about black and brown people. So you're basically, you know, you're putting your money where your mouth is on the policy, not necessarily, not not necessarily on specific candidates. It's basically you want to push these policies that you've been telling me about this a whole. Absolutely. And, but yeah. there are some candidates in very, very important swing areas in the House and in the Senate that we want to back as well. But you're right. It's about school choice, about doing something about these soft on crime DAs. And we're also campaigning against critical race theory, which I think is dividing us down racial lines. Well, Larry Elder, it's such a pleasure to have you on again. Always it is, actually. My pleasure. Yeah. Thank you. Sorry, sorry I talk so much. <laughs> We live in an age of censorship and disinformation where some of the most prominent voices, most important voices, aren't actually being heard because they're being suppressed. I invite some of these people onto the show, onto American Thought Leaders. So to stay up to date on the most recent episodes and our exclusive content, you can actually sign up for our newsletter at theepochtimes.com newsletter. Just hit the checkbox for American Thought Leaders.